So the basic premise is you have a man that gets a genetic upgrade from a special type of bomb. You have family secrets. You have action scenes that rival Die Hard. So <laughs> it is all here, folks. It is all here. Welcome to episode one of the podcast version of Book Break for Greece Public Library. I'm Kirstra. I'm one of the librarians here. I moderate our Pints and Prose book discussion group, and I am joined, as always, by my partner in podcasting crime, Claire. Thank you, Kirstra. <laughs> I'm Claire. I'm one of the librarians here at the library, and I moderate the As the Page Turns book club and our historical book club on Facebook. Yes. So first, we would like to welcome back all of our viewers who have been following us on the Greece Public Library Facebook page and our YouTube channel. And I would like to welcome everyone who has found us through their podcast app. Yes. Hooray. Hooray. Hooray for podcast. So um, today we do have a themed episode of Book Break for you. Um, today we are bringing you Sci-Fi September. That's right. I am in new and uncharted waters here, but I dove in. And I am barely restraining my glee. <laughs> um, so as you may have picked up from just that little bit of banter, um, science fiction is one of my kind of comfort genres. I read It's your a, jam. It is my jam. Yeah. It is absolutely my jam, and I read a fair amount of it. Um, I know that science fiction is not everyone's jam. But you know what? Sometimes it's good to break out of your comfort zone and read mm -hmm. some new things, which is what I found. Absolutely. I actually enjoyed all three of the ones I picked. <gasps> That's so exciting. Yeah. Um, so before we dive into our books, should we talk a little bit about what science fiction is? Yes, because I actually had the definition that it had to occur on a spaceship and was like lasers and Star Wars and all that pew, kind of pew thing. Pew-pew lasers, yeah, as pew, I pew like lasers. to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, I mean, that certainly is one subgenre of science fiction. We would refer to that as space opera. Okay. Um, but yeah, science fiction is way more than that. Um, and I don't think, well, I have one that kind of nudges alongside space opera, but I think the rest of the books we're talking today are kind of all over the map. Yeah, I definitely, I kind of had one that's more thriller sci-fi. I mm -hmm. had one that I feel is kind of classic sci-fi mm -hmm. um, yeah. and dystopian. There's a lot of overlap I found when you're looking at sci-fi and Absolutely. different people classify it differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all of those dystopian books... Like, the Hunger Games could very easily be classified as science fiction. Yeah. Like, they're doing um, gene modification and the technology that runs the actual game arena. Right. All of that is science. Yeah. Um, do you have the, that definition that we were talking about earlier? Yes. So, what, what it was defined as is fiction based on an imagined future, scientific or technological advances, major social or environmental changes, frequently portraying space or time travel or life on other planets. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, things you will typically not find in science fiction. Um, include like magic okay. that would be 
fantasy. fantasy. Exactly. Yeah. Which a lot of times get lumped together, I think, because they are both speculative right. kinds of fiction. Um, but folks who read science fiction and fantasy, um, myself included, would tell you that they're two very different genres. Um, so today we're talking science which is fun. Um, and I actually really like that definition that you found. I think it, yeah. it sums up pretty well um, what we're going to talk about today. All right. So do you want to start us off with yeah. one of your brand I wanna, new I want to dive in. Brand new books. So um, one of mine is, was a highly regarded book of last year mm-hmm. called Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro. Am I saying that right? I'm um, not sure. I have read other books by him in my book club and this one was recommended to me by um, my daughter's future Mm father-in-law and actually I liked it I think I liked it a little bit better than the other one I read by the same author but which is never let me go yes yes yeah but both kind of involve the same theme which is like artificial intelligence Mm. Uh, so our main character Clara is an artificial friend. Um, she. This is set in a distant future. I don't know if he really specifies the country, but um, Clara is probably, I imagine, like a doll, you know, mm. that is very human-like. Mm-hmm. And she, in the beginning of the story, she's in a store, and she's in a storefront window. You know, she's been moved to the front of the display. And she and another artificial friend, like, are watching the people go by, and this young girl sees her, and, like, you can tell that she's telling her mother that she really wants Clara. And they kind of develop this bond. Like, she comes by several times, um, but she doesn't show up. So then mm. Clara gets moved to the middle of the store and then she goes to the back of the Uh-oh. store. She has another person that comes in and is highly interested in her. And she kind of breaks a cardinal sin of artificial friend where she is bonded with this person. She really wants um, this young girl. Her name is Josie. So eventually they do come back. And Josie's mother puts Clara through a series of tests of like walking like Josie, like you know, how she's going to bond with her. Yeah, it's a little strange, a little different. Mm-hmm. So um, she passes all the tests, and they go home. And not long after that, you realize that Josie is sick. Um, there's something uh. wrong with her. And what happens is in this society, parents can choose to genetically upgrade or modify their children. They call this procedure lifting. So Josie is being lifted and the procedure is not going well. Um, The parents have already lost their other daughter to this procedure. So you start to realize that the mother and Clara have very different aims for Josie. Mm. Like Clara and her kind of version of intelligence she sees the sun as an omnipotent being like in her time looking out the window she has seen the sun like hit people they become happy so she's feeling that the sun and that her energy comes from the sun like she must be solar powered so Hmm. she's feeling that if she can make a bargain with the sun that she is going to make Josie better so you have these two diverging things like Uh what is the mother planning for Clara and Josie and what is Clara trying to do? Um, and I don't want to give too much away because that's a main part of the story. Mm-hmm. But um, Ishiguro does have a lot of themes of what is humanity? What does it mean to be fully human? What are the limits of 
um, AI. Mm-hmm. It kind of, you know, has a bittersweet ending in a way, but um, I'm not going to give it away. But uh, it was interesting. And then you also have, I just want to mention Josie's father, who has joined, like he and his wife split. Mm. You start to figure out it's probably because of the, the route that she's choosing to take with her daughter. Josie also has a very good friend who was a, a boy who has chosen not to be lifted, but mm-hmm. his mother still wants to get him into school. And you can see in society there are different opportunities for those mm-hmm. that have been genetically modified versus those who have not. Um, so it's a lot of good themes going on mm-hmm. um, as to what happens in the story. I can I can see why it made a lot of best of lists, and it was very interesting. And if I didn't think the ladies in my book club would... <laughs> Stone me? I would suggest that we read this. Well, uh, I'm not sure that they would stone you. I think they just wouldn't yeah. choose it. Right. No, no. Yeah. They did uh they did read the other one with me. The what is that? Never uh, let me go. Never let me go. We mm-hmm. did read that one. And yeah. you know, the thing is, is even if you may not like the book, it's it can sometimes generate a lot of good discussion. Absolutely. So Yeah. No, that sounds fascinating. Yeah. And that um kind of calls back to part of that definition of science fiction where they're talking about like social issues right. like you can take some of these ideas I know I've said this before in previous episodes when I've been talking about science fiction um, but you can take some of those ideas and just kind of like extrapolate them out mm-hmm. like what would happen right. what would happen if right and then go from there right so yeah nice yeah yeah I've never read any of his books um, oh, wow. okay but I feel like I probably should. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, my first one is The Calculating Stars by Mary Robinette Kowal. Um, This is from my stack of shame. So I'm very excited to be checking one off my list. Um, And this book is an alternate history of Earth and the space program. So I talked about it a little bit when we did our Stack of Shame episode, Mm -hmm. but just to recap a little bit, um, our main character is Elma York. She is a calculator for NASA in the early 1950s. So um, just like the folks in Hidden Figures, right? So these were the the human calculators before there were computers or, well, they actually called them computers, not calculators. Um, So before there were... um, little, you know, pocket computers. (laughs) They did all of the math that um, calculated trajectories and load and all of those things to make the space program possible. So Elma is a brilliant mathematician. Um, She was also a WASP pilot during World War II. So she has pilot, a pilot's background. Um, And so she and her husband both work for NASA. um, And it's, you know, only a few years after the end of World War II, um, when a comet hits the Earth. Oh. Like, big comet hits right off of the, hits basically in the Chesapeake Bay. So right off of the coast where, you know, all of our government resides. <laughs> and um, this is an extinction-level event. So... All of the, like, D.C. area is completely wiped out in the initial blast. And they're able to calculate based on, you know, the um, size of the comet and all of these factors that 
this is going to be an extinction level event. So there's like a um, cool down for a couple of years, but then the temperature is just going to rise and rise and rise and rise and rise until the earth becomes uninhabitable for humans. Oh, great. Right? Yeah. So the answer is let's move the space program. Let's put all of our resources there and work on colonization efforts. So we've got to find a way to get humanity off of this planet, basically before it boils. Yeah. <laughs> so that's sort of the, um, the big problem that they're dealing with. And part of how Elma gets involved is not only is she a brilliant mathematician, so they need her to do all of the math to figure all of this stuff out, but in the, that D.C. area, you've got all of the main government like centers, so not just the White House and Congress, but you've got, you know, um, the NASA headquarters and like all of these agencies are just wiped out. So they're rebuilding a lot of these programs from scratch um, and they have to ramp up dramatically the astronaut program. So Elma starts lobbying for women to be included in that program, particularly because there are a lot of female pilots from World War II um, who have the flight experience, and, you know, there's kind of a shortage of dudes because <laughs> so many people died with the, the comet crash. So it's fascinating. So it's a lot of the same beats of real history, mm -hmm. and the science is real science. So the same um, math that they were doing and rocket design and all of that that happened in our actual space program, um, but with this kind of pressure behind it to accelerate things. So that's okay. where the fiction part of the science fiction comes in. Um, but I really liked this book. It is the first in a duology. The second book is called The Faded Sky, um, which I'm definitely going to be reading sometime soon before I've forgotten all of the details of this book. Um, but Elma is a really fascinating protagonist. She's got some real strengths, the math. She's the pilot. Um, but she's also got issues. She's not a one-dimensional character. Um, and we see a lot of... The, the characters are all very well fleshed out, I think. So there's conflict there. Um, there's the big problem, and then there are lots of littler problems that everyone still has to deal with. And like I said, some of the beats of our real history still show up in the book. So that was, that was really interesting for me. But I liked it. The Calculating Stars, if you liked Hidden Figures, um, this would be... This would be a good sci-fi for you. Absolutely. All right. So we're going to take a turn. I love taking a turn. Yeah. We're going to, uh, this is one of the books my daughter and I started reading for Book of the Month Club. It was one of our choices together. Um, this is Upgrade by Blake Crouch. And he has written some other books. He seems to be a fairly yeah. popular author. I would kind of classify this as a sci-fi thriller. Um, so the basic premise is you have a man that gets a genetic upgrade from a special type of bomb. 
You have family secrets. You have action scenes that rival Die Hard. So <laughs> it is all here, folks. It is all here. Um, our main character is Logan Ramsey. He is the son of a famous geneticist or just genetic scientist, uh, Miriam Ramsey. And she had this idea to genetically modify, I think, corn or wheat that was going to save the world from hunger. But instead, her, her mission misfired and she ended up creating something that they called the Great Hunger. Uh-oh. Yeah. Um, Logan was just a college student at the time, but he ended up spending time in jail for this. And oh, wow. his mother disappeared, believed dead, you know, driven her car off the coast of California. So, yeah, you start out with a bang right there. The family's great, you know. Um, <laughs> So now Logan is out of jail. He is married, uh, has a wife he loves very much, a young daughter who's also very smart. They play chess. She beats him soundly. I think she's 14. So he works for a government agency that kind of battles this genetic modification. Of course, mm -hmm. now that this his mother's kerfluffle happened, not even a kerfluffle. I think millions of people died. Um, That's maybe slightly genetic, more than a kerfluffle. <laughs> yes, <laughs> any kind of genetics are highly monitored, mm. and of course, this creates a black market, you know, just like with drugs or anything else. So, um, so he goes into this, you know, stakeout, and they're trying to ferret out like a supply chain of these genetic modifiers with products, and there's a bomb in the basement that explodes. It pierces his hazmat suit. He wakes up, and he's in quarantine. He doesn't know what has happened. He can't remember. Um, his doctors tell him that they believe that he's been, you know, has a horrible virus. He might be genetically modified. But then, I think in two weeks, he's awake. He's doing okay. He thinks he's doing better. And then it starts. He's... Uh, <laughs> After his fever and everything else goes away, he realizes um, he sees much better at night. He has a photographic mm. memory. His bones become denser. He becomes almost like a superhuman. His daughter now can't, you know, he's like crushing his daughter at chest. His mind is just moving mm -hmm. so fast. So um, the government obviously realizes that this is a problem, and they want to... Uh, Kind of put him away. So I bet they is, do. He is grabbed one day, mysteriously disappears from his family, and then is broken out. I don't want to get into too much details mm -hmm. about who does this and why. But so the race is on. Okay. He's trying to figure out who did this to him, why. More and more secrets about his family start to come mm -hmm. out. And he's trying to figure, is the government involved? His boss involved? You know, it's almost like a typical spy thriller mm -hmm. with that cat and mouse game. Yep. Like he's always one step ahead. He and the person that helped break him out. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, very, it's very fun. It's a very fast read. Sounds uh, like a great summer read. Yeah, it was a great summer read. You know, um, my daughter was like, eh, you know, but I think she's more like you. She likes a more classic you know mm -hmm. deeper like she's read dune and stuff you know so for me this was great <laughs> upgrade by blake crouch so nice and he's read other ones i might yeah. actually try to read one of his other ones so. so the one of his that i've read is dark, dark matter, matter yeah and that like kind of messed with my brain in a good way in a good way but like 
yeah, it was, it was a little trippy. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Okay. So I, and I would recommend it, but that sounds great. I'm definitely going to be putting yeah. that on my list. I'll too. lend you my copy. Aw. Yeah. Thanks. That's what friends are for. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Piling up books on each other's yes. TBR list. Exactly. <laughs> Um, all right, so my next one is going to be The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. And this is actually the first book in the Wayfarers series. Um, and Wayfarer is the name of the ship. So okay. this is the one that I was saying is kind of edging closer to space opera, but mm-hmm. it's not really about pew-pew lasers. It just kind of happens to take place on a spaceship. Okay. Okay. So our main character is Rosemary. Um, She has taken a job on this ship, the Wayfarer, which no one can quite figure out why she's done this. She clearly has kind of a pedigreed background that she doesn't really talk about, but she is probably... You know, she could get a much higher class of job than this. But she takes this job that is essentially, like, to do paperwork. Like, file all of the paperwork for this ship. Um, And once she is on the ship, um, they accept a commission to do this kind of long-haul mission that's going to take months and months and months just kind of flying through space. And really all that is is an excuse to get this cast of characters into one place where they can interact and you can learn about them. So I have seen this book described as cozy sci-fi, which I think is a really great description. So like a cozy mystery, um, there's no blood, Mm -hmm. like there's no gore. There's a mystery, but like, you know, people are kind of sipping their tea and like, thinking through how this might have happened. So it's kind of the same thing. So we're on a spaceship, right? But there's no pew-pew lasers. It's just um, this big cast of characters on the ship, the crew of the ship, um, that includes humans and non-humans, an AI that is the ship's computer that kind of runs things. Um, And you just kind of get a closer look at each of these characters and kind of what they're about and how they interact. And it's a lot of world building, like explaining this world that we're in. Um, And I loved it. I loved it. It is meandery. Okay. Um, Like it is not a super quick page turning read. Like there's not much action in this book at all. Um, But there's conversation and character building and world building and it's very it's cozy it's comfortable um just exploring this place and the series is not necessarily like linear where you have to it's the same group always and it's from one crisis to the next crisis it's more like each book kind of focuses on a different character from this cast of characters. Um, so this, I've only read the first one. I believe there are three or four books in the series. Um, I definitely would read the others. Um, and she's also got a newer book called A Prayer for the Crown Shy 
that has gotten a lot of buzz Mm -hmm. in the last couple of years. Um, So Becky Chambers is definitely like an upcoming voice in science fiction. Um, And I, I highly recommend, especially for people who are a little bit nervous about like hard sci-fi, but are ready to kind of stretch a little bit into space and aliens and other planets. Okay. Well, my last one is the one that, it's odd. I didn't really love reading it, but I can't stop thinking about Mm -hmm. it. Um, It is The Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. This book was on so many lists. Like when I started Googling, like, what is sci-fi? You know, what Mm -hmm. are the 10 best, you know, (laughs) what sci-fi books must you read? Mm -hmm. This book was on almost every one of those lists. And um, I actually have the paperback that you gave me. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, I listened to this one. Um, Decided to go that route. And it was was an interesting listen. Mm So let me tell you a little bit, if you don't know about Octavia Butler, um, I loved Kindred, which is another mm-hmm. one of her books, but her, she was really a pioneer of the genre. They call it Afrofuturism. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has inspired even Beyonce for her album for Lemonade, you know, it, it, uh, she, and she had a, a huge impact on other black authors because I think really until she started writing, you did not see a lot of people of color in science fiction. It was, Am I right? It was Isaac Asimov okay. and Philip K. Dick. It was a lot of white dudes. Yeah, a lot of a old, lot old, of them. Yeah, old yeah. white men. So she she was she was kind of a genre mm-hmm. bender and you know a pioneer. Absolutely. Um, the thing that amazed me is this book. She wrote it in the early 1990s. It almost doesn't seem like science fiction because it's so believable to me. And it just blows my mind how this woman in the 1990s taking news stories could kind of predict where our future is headed. Um, So let's set the tone. The, The novel starts in the year 2024, 2025. Um... Our main so protagonist. Right around the corner. Yeah, yeah. Not far away, people. Not far away. Global climate change is a huge factor in this book. It has led to droughts, um, flooding, fires. Ring any bells, people? Ring mm-hmm. any bells? Um, and then you have California has become a place of small gated communities where people are trying to keep other people out because there are so many poverty stricken people. There are new drugs that they call them pyros that were drugs is almost like a sexual high from watching fire. So these people are causing all kinds of havoc in the world. And then there's people that follow the pyros because then they can loot after the pyros Mm -hmm. are done. So you have Lauren, who was a a young teen, probably 16, 17 when this starts. And she is trying to be like the voice of reason in the community. Her father is a Baptist minister. Mm -hmm. Um, He is also very aware of what is going on 
and trying to lead his community to the right place, but it's not quite at a fast enough pace for Lauren. Like, he's teaching people to shoot. He's teaching people to be aware. Like, Lauren has read extensively. She has read a lot of Native American books, so she knows how to forage. She knows what to eat in case she would, you know, be away from home. They're preppers. They are. They're preppers. They're doomsday preppers. Um, So anyway, sure enough, what Lauren says comes to pass you know i'm not going to go into all the the details of her family but you know they leave uh she is on the road on 101 in california trying to survive with another group of vagabonds and it's thought-provoking you can just see a lot of this happening um there is a political leader that is trying to get people to buy into the old ways the old america you know let let's get back to our old old you know selves and um in doing so they actually start like a new level of indentured servitude like oh wow yeah like where companies are buying towns but then it's like the old mining example where you never quite get out from under Mm -hmm. this the the town you're not paid in wages you're played in script so yeah it was um Although she said this wasn't supposed to be a prophecy, it was a cautionary tale. And they, she said, all I have to say is I certainly hope it's not. Well, well, I got to tell you, Olivia, I lost a lot of sleep over this because mm-hmm. you hit the nail on the head. So mm-hmm. there is a second one. She didn't get to finish the series. She died fairly young. Uh, she had yes, a fall. She um, and she hoped to finish the series with the MacArthur Grant, I believe, but did not get to. So mm-hmm. there is a yeah. second book. I'm still debating whether or not I will read it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I so I read Parable of the Sower oh, a million years ago, and I don't remember a lot of it, but I do remember that it, like the feeling of it stuck with me. Yeah. It sounds like a lot, the, a lot like the way it did for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Octavia Butler is huge. You don't get um, N.K. Jemison or Nalo Hopkinson or... Um, even like Tanahasi Coates without Octavia Butler. Okay. So, yeah. Great grandmother of science fiction, for sure. Awesome. All right. So, what's your last All one? All right. My last one is one of my personal classics um, and from one of my favorite science fiction authors. It is Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. This book was published in 1992. So, cool 30 years ago um and I read it probably in the mid to late 90s for the first time and I've this is one that I come back to it was like one of those formative books for me Mm -hmm. that I like to revisit every so often um so the thing that Neil Stevenson does is a lot like Octavia Butler he kind of takes some threads and has an incredibly prescient way of seeing how they're going to spool out into the future. Um, Except with Stevenson, most of that focuses around technology. Um, And you can see that in a lot of his other books as well. Um, But this one, so our our protagonist is named Hero Protagonist. (laughs) So it's a very tongue-in-cheek book. A lot of it is very funny. Um, He is a hacker um, whose day job is delivering pizzas for the Cosa Nostra pizza chain, which is also run by the mob, you know, as you do in the future. This is like 
a not too far distant future. Mm -hmm. Um, And Hero helped to create the metaverse, which is kind of like if the whole internet was virtual reality. Okay. Um, If you remember uh, Second Life, which had kind of a brief moment in the um, kind of early aughts, um, it's much the same technology, although Second Life didn't catch on quite so much as the metaverse did in here. Regardless, so in life, Hero is a pizza delivery guy who lives in a storage locker at You Store It. Um, in the metaverse, he's like a legend because he helped to create the coding that runs the whole thing. So in the metaverse, um, there is a computer virus that seems to be targeting hackers. So these um, kind of minds at the forefront of pushing the computer technology forward are being targeted and essentially killed. Um, So Hero gets kind of dragged into trying to track down who's doing this and why. Um, So that kind of kicks off the action. Um, There is a ton of action in this book. It is a very fast-moving plot, um, and there's a big ensemble of characters. There are, you know, three or four kind of main characters. Hero is our most main point of view. He's our protagonist. Um, But we do have a few other points of view as well. Um, And it's just a great time. The world building is fascinating. So in Stevenson's vision for this world, um, capitalism has kind of gone completely amok. So everything has become privatized. Uh, So you're local neighborhood is private. So there are gated communities. You have to have like citizenship into the various burb claves. <laughs> so that suburb kind of enclaves. is yeah. similar to Octavia Butler mm-hmm. because that's beginning to happen. Different states are shutting out other states. And right. Yeah, exactly. Um, even like policing has been privatized. So you have Oh, yeah, they Various, don't, like, they don't ever want to call the police. Basically. Yeah, so <laughs> kind of the same thing. It, it, this is, I would say, in many ways, a much less serious take than Octavia Butler's. Yeah. Um, like I said, there is a lot of humor in this book, um, but it turns into kind of this big caper to track down what's going on. Um, but I... I loved it. Like I said, it's it's one of those formative books for me that I've reread probably at least once every five or ten years since I read it the first time. Um, he has quite a few other books. He's still writing very actively. His After Snow Crash, the books tend to get a little chonky. <laughs> so that's one of the reasons why I picked this one and not one of his later books because it's it's tough to recommend that someone sit down with 1,200 pages of light reading. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, not going there. No, but if you read Snow Crash or some of his other earlier books were Zodiac or The Diamond Age and you like them and you like kind of the flavor of them, then I would say definitely go ahead, tackle some of those other doorstops, but start with start with one of the littler ones to see if you like it. Sounds good. Yeah. 
All right. Well, let us know if you've tried any science fiction, mm-hmm. if you like science fiction, yeah. or think you might try one of the ones we recommend. Yeah. I also have just a short little list that I wrote down of kind of some um, science fiction light books that I've talked about in the past on Book Break that might be worth revisiting in light of this conversation. So we are satellites. Yeah, I still want to read that one. I know. You've taken it home a couple of times now, I think. Um, In the Quick by Kate Hope Day, which was um, Jane Eyre in space. Right, it's a pink cover. Yes, pink cover with an astronaut. Um, And Lakewood by Megan Giddings. Um, I would say also kind of edges into that kind of speculative fiction. And she's got a new one category. coming out too. I know, I'm super excited. Yeah. Yeah. So please do let us know. Um, I know many of you may or may not be science fiction types, um, but maybe dip your toes in the waters and let us know what you think. You may like it. I did. Mm-hmm. It is a wide, wide world of science fiction, so there really is something for just about everybody out there. So let us know what you read and what you think of it. Um, and since we are now podcast, here's the obligatory point where I tell you, please do subscribe to our podcast in whatever app you use to listen. You can search for us on any of the major platforms, by looking up GPL Book Break. And then we will come to you uh, twice a month on Wednesdays with brand new Book Break content. Listen to us while you walk. Yeah, while you walk, while you do dishes, all that good stuff. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. Take care. Book Break is a production of the Greece Public Library, made possible through the support of the Friends of the Greece Public Library. Theme music composed and performed by Sean Greif.